Welcome to Unexpected Points. I'm your host, Kevin Cole. This is your analytical journey through what's going on in the NFL this offseason. Another solo pod from me. We have a few different topics I want to discuss today. Uh, first, I want to get into the question that's floating around out here with some comments that we've seen here. Urban Meyer, donkey, no donkey. What do we, what do we think about him? Uh, then we're going to look at another first-year head coach and decide whether or not you know, this guy needs to get canceled. It's, it's canceling season out there in the world. And this guy, uh, I think is on his way out, although I'll make a decision on whether or not he is canceled, especially by team analyticus. And lastly, we're going to dig back into some more betting and things like that. But before I jump into that stuff, I just want to quickly give a shout out to some other PFF podcasts. In case you guys didn't know, you know, I'm focusing on the analytics stuff here. We have the PFF forecast, which is Eric Eager and George Shahuri, a couple other numbers guys, but it's really, really focused on the betting side there. They have that podcast a couple of times a week. We have two for one drafts, which was, you know, integral to my preparation during draft time. Uh, Also, it's been helpful here coming out of the draft, knowing about these rookies. I took some of the information that they have when I was doing some analysis on offensive rookie of the year and on defensive rookie of the year, although they were against my offensive rookie of the year pick. So I'll let them slide on that. They're not exactly masters on uh, probability. And then, of course, we have the PFF NFL show with Sam and Steve. And then we have the Chris Collinsworth podcast, which also with Richard Sherman there. And the two other podcasts I want to mention, you know, uh, the Fantasy Football Podcast, which is something that everyone should be listening to with Ian Harditz. And then we also have the College Football Podcast. Now, that's not necessarily going to be the most popular this time of year, but we just had the FCS finish up. And we're going to have a lot more from Seth Galina there going into the season. So everyone should should check that out. Now, first, let's go into Urban Meyer, Donkey, No Donkey. Now, in the draft episode that I did a couple of weeks ago, wrapping up the draft, I wasn't particularly kind to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I didn't hate what they did. They made the no-brainer pick uh, up top with Trevor Lawrence, but it was really what they were doing later in the first round that had me questioning what was going on. Now, as most people know, with the 24th pick, one pick after the Steelers took Najee Harris, they took Travis Etienne. Now, what's interesting about that, number one, of course, taking a running back in the first round. That's that's a donkey move. I'm sorry. That, that's that's going to get labeled uh, Meyer, someone who is going to be taken advantage of when there are smarter franchises out there, right? So that's number one. But number two are some post-draft commentary that Meyer had on this. Now, for those who don't know, right after the draft in a I don't know. I'm going to say shocking move. I mean, worrying move. I don't know how how you want to describe this, but he came out, Meyer came out and said that they were really disappointed when the giants snapped up Kadarius Tony with the 20th pick. They, They were drafting at 24, as I mentioned. And then they wanted to take Tony, but then they took Travis Etienne. So, you know, not the greatest welcome to the rookie there to say like, Hey, you know, we really wanted this other guy, but we took you because uh, so that maybe not the greatest motivational guy there uh, from Meyer, but even worse is how he's been talking about ETN since then. And that's what I'm really going to dig into here. Uh, Number one, he first said, you know, that he, like I said, he, he, he made the, the, the Tony, we we don't know Tony. So we're going to go with ETN. Now, um, Scott Barrett, who formerly a PFF guy, 
works over at um, Fantasy Points, I believe. And he has, he goes through all the different press conferences. This is stuff that I listen to some of it also, but he highlighted how in the post-draft press conference with Urban Meyer said that, you know, the big headline was, he said that, oh, it's going to be Robinson and Hyde and then ETN on third down. Again, that just sounds like a really poor use of resources to say, we're going to take this first round running back, this guy who can produce immediately from day one, and we're just going to use him as a third down back behind the aging veteran Hyde and behind the UDFA of James Robinson. Of course, you know, they could have just used Robinson and not had to worry and traded for someone like, a, I don't know, like a Giovanni Bernard or someone like that, and not had to even worry about drafting ETN in the first place. But you know, once that ship has sailed, you're, you're still kind of going in the wrong direction here, saying you want ETN just to be the third down back. Then he said, ideally, he's Percy Harvin for us. We'll see. Okay, here. So um, ETN was, you know, a good receiver in college. He had solid receiving numbers. He was in that 80th, 90th percentile when we talk about receivers for what they can do. Um, but he wasn't someone who really moved around a ton and lined up in the slot, did different things like that. So to say he's going to be like Harvin, and Harvin, of course, played with Urban Meyer back when he was coaching Florida. That's a bit of a strange one there. I mean, when 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 Harvin was in Florida, he was kind of similar to what he was in the NFL, although even more towards the rushing side. So he was someone who was putting up 16, 1300 yard seasons in combined scrimmage yards divvying that up almost 50-50 between rushing and receiving. So that's a little bit worrying that he's going to say, well, we didn't get Kadarius Toney, who I think objectively looks a lot like Percy Harvin, but with worse production, he was he didn't come out early. So that's, that's a negative there. So he's a, a much worse prospect, I would say, from a lot of different measures than compared to uh, Percy Harvin because he did absolutely nothing until his, or barely anything until his senior year, his true senior year. So that so that's worrying. So that, that that that's a problem is that Tony's not even a good pick in the first place. But then saying we're going to force or try to mold ETN a running back into that role seems very strange. When in fact going the other way seems to have been at least a little bit successful in the NFL, where you have guys who are wide receivers, then you play them more as running backs. I mean, we saw Curtis Samuel start to get some some role in that role. You saw you know even other guys like famously David Johnson, the former um, when he was a rookie standout when he was with the Cardinals and then that second season with the Cardinals and now with the Texans. But he's a guy who converted from wide receiver to running back because learning the wide receiver side of things is a lot more difficult. It's more of a craft. It's more of a skill. You even see that within the NFL, it takes wide receivers longer to ramp up to full efficiency for looking at either fantasy point scoring or uh, something like our war metric, our war value metric. So converting a running back into a wide receiver is just a difficult thing to do. And it's not really necessarily what you want to be doing. Um, so, so, so that happened. And then recently this week, uh, Meyer came out and he said that at minicamp that he had ETN doing all of his reps at wide receiver. And the worst case scenario, he said, is you have a running back that's elite with receiver skills. Now, I don't think that's the worst case scenario. That sounds like a good scenario for someone like ETN. The worst case scenario is you have a player that you're throwing out there at wide receiver who is just a detriment to the team when you have uh, Chark and LaVisca Chenault and other guys that you, you could be using in those roles who actually are receivers. And of course, we're talking about like a slash type of player, a guy who can run the ball 
and receive the ball. They already have LaVisca Chenault. So it's, it's really weird that he's so focused on that as part of the, as part of this process. So I think this, these are troubling things for Meyer. And if you want to dig in even a bit further, his fixation on this dual threat role is something that could portend poorly for his success if he's not if, he, if this is gonna be another thing where he says I'm gonna do things the way that maybe was the way that I did them as a college coach. Um, these types of players now Percy Harvin was successful in the NFL, but the types of players who have this slash role have notoriously underperformed versus where they've been drafted. Now it's not a huge sample of guys. Uh, but if we're going to look at them, we have, uh, you know, Patterson, Cordell Patterson, who was a first round pick. We have Tavon Austin, who was a top 10 pick. Um, and then Harvin, who had some success. But then again, he trailed off. You know, he's never a dominant thousand yard receiver. He was a guy who was who was doing both and then getting up to that production. Uh, but he really fell off. As, as it went later on, um, it's kind of hard for these smaller guys, especially to do a lot of uh, a lot of the running work. So you have those guys who didn't weren't as successful. Tyreek Hill. Now he was that type of player in college and he ended up being very, very successful. So there's there's some hope there, although, you know, you're going to get that once in a lifetime player, probably again, once in a lifetime, once in a generation type of guy. I think he truly is that type of guy. So it's going to be difficult going forward. And if you've got other guys who played within the system, right, that Urban Meyer had. Um, like I said, Harvin in Florida, if you go over to Ohio state, you have, uh, Curtis Samuel and Paris Campbell. Both of those guys have come into the NFL. Samuel's done. Okay. Um, but again, you know, he, he got some of that rushing production, but it's really his ability to win down the field. That's going to be working more than anything else. It's going to really determine his success and his next stop as a mid-level, uh, mediocre, you know, free agent signing there. He wasn't a high level guy. Uh, going high, high level guy going over there. And Paris Campbell, it just hasn't, hasn't broken out yet. Hasn't been able to do anything there. And then, you know, going further, guys like Braxton Miller, who came out was quarterback who converted into that slash sort of underneath guy role really hasn't been able to do that much in the NFL either. So I'm hoping for Meyer. It's not the case that he believes he can implement what he did in college in the pros now, there's probably some room for that, but there are a couple of particular reasons why it's more difficult to implement these yak players and the pros. From a coaching perspective, you're hoping this is like free yards. This is easy yards. But we see in the pros, the defense is so much faster that when you try to use screens, when you try to do run after catch, it can work sometimes, but it's only particularly been good in circumstances where you have a lot of it working off of play action. And I think you've seen the Shanahan offenses, others where you get a lot of yak in those offenses. And, that, and that's a good reason there. So it's just harder because of how fast the defense is. And uh, there's just a structural difference in the hash marks, right? So the, your hash marks are, the hashes are much closer in the middle of the field. So when you're lining up on one hash or the other, you don't have as much open room to one side. So there's less field to cover if you're going to throw a screen pass out to the wide side of the field. And in the NFL, you know, those linebackers can get over there. The safeties can get over there. Other players can get over there a lot faster when, when they're playing and it limits the, the yak ability there. So just a different level of athlete and some structural differences that make that there. So if he's going to continue to push that and can continue to mold ETN into this role, I'm going to be very nervous. And I think I will probably label him a donkey. And what, what other thing I wanted to mention about him, there was a very interesting 
uh, table that came out from Seth Walder. Those of, those of you who don't know Seth, he is ESPN's, he's an analyst slash uh, analytics writer there at ESPN. He famously, <laughs> and I interviewed him, he wrote the, uh, you know, Aaron Donald is average defender and, and that that didn't go so well. Um, but he, you know, he's a great guy. He does, he does great work there beyond that sort of stuff. So he has a list of all the different analytics staffers on all the different teams. And what I thought was interesting, what jumped out at me there was the fact that the Jaguars have a lot of guys here. Now, Tony Khan, who is the son of Shad Khan. So he is the, uh, he's the son there. He has been an analytics type of guy for a while. He's built up this department. Now he brought in uh, Kareem Kassan, who was with the Steelers before. He's a professor also. He kind of went back and forth. Uh, I think it was with the academia, then the Steelers, then out to another private business, and now back with the Jaguars. Um, they brought in Eugene Shen, who was with the Baltimore Ravens, you know, obviously a very front forward analytics organization, went to the Dolphins for a little bit and is now there. And then they have, you know, four or five other guys who work in business slash uh, football operations for analytics there. So they built up this robust department there. But my concern is, and this plays into what happened with Tom Coughlin before, is that the, the, you know, the owner there is really saying, I want this dominant force in the coaching spot or someone to go over the organization. And that guy is Urban Meyer. And how much is he really going to be paying attention to the analytics side of things? Is he going to be someone who's doing a lot of negative EV moves like we saw in the draft of drafting a running back and now trying to squeeze this running back into a wide receiver type of role? He's a role that should be filled by someone who primarily has those wide receiver skills. Uh, are they going to be shut out for, on the side? So that's something I'm going to be looking going forward. But I would say overall, I'm probably going to vote on the side of Urban Meyer, in fact, being a donkey. But it's early. So so we're going we're gonna to hope for, for, for good things for him. All right. So before I get into the next one, uh, we're talking about what coach is going to get canceled. I just want to mention really quickly a word from our next sponsor, and that is Western and Southern. Now, for Western and Southern, this is about life insurance, okay? I've thought about life insurance a little bit more. I have reasons uh, to start doing it. And I think for this type of insurance, the, the coach I'm about to talk about maybe could could use this type of insurance because he's a, he's a tough physical sort of guy getting out there. Um, but if you think about this, what you never know what's going to happen. Uh, Western Southern offers life insurance, entire retirement, investments, everything for the future. These uh, products are issued by member companies, Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, it's a great place to, if you're, if you're getting a little bit older and you said, take care of your family, take care of your spouse, take care of others in your family, look for Western and Southern. Okay, so the next segment here, and I'm a little excited about this one, is going to, it's not something we're going to do necessarily every week, but I want to carve out a space here where if someone is... I don't know. There's some some blasphemy, let's say, amongst the football world, especially when it comes to analytics. I want to have a chance to call those people out and decide whether or not they need to be put on a list and known that, you know, they're not really welcome, quite honestly, around here anymore. 
And that segment is You're Canceled. Sorry, you're canceled. Now, who we're going to talk about today? We are going to talk about our man in Detroit, Dan Campbell. Now, for those who caught Campbell's introductory press conference, you know, it was a thing of beauty. We all know that. There were kneecaps threatened. There were hunks of body potentially being ripped off as part of the Dan Campbell way of doing things. But in all fairness, you know, I understand it's motivational talk. Uh, Campbell's known as being a football guy type of guy, but he came over from the Saints. He was working with uh, Sean Payton. I was hoping, you know, things were moving in the right direction. But something came up recently that really leaned into one of my core things, and that is he was on the Pardon My Take podcast. And as part of that podcast, he was asked an analytics question to try to see whether he was going to quote unquote, get it right or not. And I appreciate that from, from the guys over at part of my take. So uh, thank you for that. And the specific question was about going for two. If you score a touchdown, you're down 14 points, you score a touchdown. Do you go for two then at the end of the game? If you're close to the end of the game, say in the fourth quarter, or do you go for one? And I wrote an article about this at an old site that I used to, that I used to write stuff at called predictive football. And I detailed, I have a, you know, a flow chart showing how, the reason that you go for two. And the, the basic gist is you don't want to go to overtime, okay? So if you're playing for one each of those times, you think that's a good thing because, I, you know, you get the extra point, you get their extra point, and then the most reasonable scenario is the other team doesn't score. And we, if you score that touchdown and another touchdown, you're going to overtime. But, you know, only have 50% chance of winning in overtime. So what you're doing is, by, by doing the strategy of going for two the first time, you're making it more likely that you're going to lose by two points, but you don't really care if you lose by two points or if you lose by a point, right? It's, you're about, it's about winning or losing, but you're making it much, much more likely, infinitely more likely that you're going to win in overtime because if you make the two-point conversion the first time, you can just kick the extra point the next time. You don't have to go for two again. You don't, it doesn't have to average out there. You have that knowledge and then you could potentially win by one point when you score the next touchdown. Uh, and then if you don't get the two, so that's, that's roughly, let's say half of the time because you make the two the first time and then you kick the extra point. So half of the time you get the two touchdowns, you're already up to 50% win probability. Whereas if your best case scenario is going to overtime, just probably 50, 50 there, right? That's your, that's your max. So you're already 50, 50. Now, if you kick two, and you miss, I mean, if you kick two, if you go for two and you miss, and then you go for two again and you make it, then you go to overtime and then you have a 50-50 chance there. So you're giving yourself another incremental benefit, another incremental chance. It is such a strong gain that you're getting from that. And that's why this is an important discussion here, that if you have this explained to you, you have the numbers explained to you, there's no real way to talk your way out of it once you're used to doing it. So this is what... Um, Dan Campbell was asked about, and you'll hear exactly what he has to say. Uh, let me just pull it up, and you'll hear what he has to say here when asked. I have an analytics question for you. We just had uh, head coach Brandon Staley on from the Chargers. He passed. Let's see how you do. You're down 14. There's four minutes left in the game. You go in to score. Are you going for one or two? Am I going for one or two? All right. This is just purely analytics. It has nothing to do with the way the game's going. Correct. 
nothing like that. Just number. I mean, first of all, I don't even like the hedging. It has nothing to do with the way the game's going. Like what? That of course, this was always being used is like, oh, the game's going a certain way. Again, this is like so sound the numbers that it doesn't really matter which way the game's going. But anyway, I'll let this continue. Numbers. Yeah, just numbers. Analytics would tell you to go for two. Yeah. Analytics would tell you to go for two. I like it so far. I have hope. Yep. And you right. would say go and for two? No, I would say go for one. What? Oh, boy. Yes. Like, <laughs> it's like leading up to it. He even says analytics, like the numbers would say you would go for two. He he throws out the part about whether it matters or not, what else is going on. And he still says one. So let's, okay, well, let's give him a chance. Maybe, maybe Dan Campbell has a reasoning here. Let's, let, let's listen. What? That's, that's yeah. Dan analytics. Oh, man. <laughs> I do like the analytics. I will, I will absolutely blast you for that. Let him explain. What's what's your reason? Well, without knowing exactly what's going on, if you're just telling me I'm behind 14, I mean, I, I just, I get the fact that, look, if you go for two, you get it. Well, look, you're sitting real good now. All right. There's no problem. But if you don't get it, all right, if you don't get it, now you got to go for two just to get a tie back. Correct. Right. You know what I mean? So if, but yet if, now, as you can see, he's kind of like working his way through this in his head as he's doing this. And, well, whatever. Well, we'll listen to the whole thing. But you see, he never really comes around to any reason to have the opinion that he has. But let's, okay, let's, let's keep listening. If you, you know at a minimum you're going to kick an extra point and you're going to be sitting there and you're going to have at a minimum a tie game, it just. See, again, this is the focus on the tie game. Like extending the game right getting to overtime but again you only win in overtime half the time it's not the same as winning winning in regulation is a hundred percent win not 50 percent win like going to overtime anyway okay let's, let's let's let him continue but if you well, for if, me I'm, I'm good with it if you're 50 if you're over 50 percent going for two and you get it the first time you win the game with an extra point and if you don't get mm -hmm. it the first time this the analytics will say you'll get it the second time I mean, that was a little bit tortured explanation, as you heard from my explanation earlier. You, you don't even have to be 50%, over 50% going for two. It just means you have the chance to, to, to go for two and, and do the extra point, or you can go for two twice. You have that optionality. You're not forced to go for two twice. So anyway, let, let's let him continue. I Listen, I'm not gonna, I will criticize you if you do this. If no, you no, make this and here, here's, here's what I would say. Like, I got no problem with that, and I get that you get two shots at it if you're down by – 14 and here we go man so now you get two cracks out of you go for two i would rather kick the extra point and now i'm at the end of the game and where are we at are we worn out are we tired we're, we're and let's go for two then i like that <laughs> okay so that's pft commenter uh jumping in trolling by the way trolling a little bit here about it with the i like that so like he, he'll talk about it a little bit more later but like this really makes no sense because if you go for two the first time right that's when you have the optionality. That's when you have the chance to say, I know what happened. So then I can either do the extra point. I can do the, the, the most advantageous thing, do the extra point then, or go for two again to make up for the miss. Now, if you take the extra point the first time, and then you're going for two the second time, you don't have the knowledge on the two when you're going for one the first time. You're giving up that knowledge and you're just flipping the go for two coin at that point. And nothing else. You're not getting any extra advantage from there. So you, you're giving up the whole point of this exercise if you decide to go for two at the end of the game. That has nothing to do with like analytics. That is just I want to take. I want to be risky. I want to be risky to and something to do. And it's really tough because you really got to do that at the very very end of the game. Um, 
because then you're just incentivizing the other team to come back and if you give them enough time um, rather than go for overtime. So anyway, let's let's let them continue here. I get the whole I, yeah, I get I'm the whole wait a minute, man. You only got one crack at it now. You don't get it, you lose. But yet, you know, I I just I get it and I know the number. See, he didn't even really have an explanation there. Numbers, man. I I understand all that, and I'm not telling you that I'm off of that, and that uh, now I don't listen to any of that crap because I have my eyes have been open to some of this analytics, but and I'm not. <laughs> this is, I mean, okay. I, I want to give I want to give him hope. There, maybe there's hope here. He says his eyes have been open, so that's good. But again, you're you could say you embrace it. You say the eyes are open, but then you have no logic for not just doing what you're being told to do anyway you, you need to have like extra logic to do something different than what the numbers are telling you to do not like extra logic extra knowledge to do the obvious thing which is you know not the the standard thing which is the analytical thing i'd oppose any of that doesn't mean we won't use it but my god tell me where we're at in the game tell me you know how's our defense playing how's our offense i know we're down 14 but is that 14 nothing i mean you know is that you know is that uh Aaron Donald over there is that I can't tell you whether 14 nothing <laughs> matters versus uh, uh 28 to 14 but anyway I just think that sometimes that plays into it that's all I, I think get it, I, I, I actually yeah. okay I I did he doesn't get it okay stop saying I get it but I don't want to do it again this is one of the rare circumstances where if you get it the, the the advantage is so big. It doesn't matter if Aaron Donald is there. It doesn't matter if you're tired. It doesn't matter what the score is. There's a huge advantage here. This is not um, a half a percent difference on a fourth going for a fourth down or not. This is like a strategic edge that you're getting on what you're doing here. Okay, let, let me let me let him pull out here and see if he has anything else interesting. Disagree with it, but I respect the fact that you're like I would rather go for two when it means more and you have a chance to either win or lose the game. I mean, more semi-trolling here from, from PFT commenter. At the very end. I kind of like that. That's, that's manalytics. Manalytics. <laughs> right. Right. No look, I'm using the numbers. If you're doing the number, well, that's idiotic because if you were going to do that, why not go for it twice? Because you get to- Listen, Dan Campbell is giving you the reasoning. So maybe he does know it. So why is he going against every instinct in his body to not do it? two opportunities and you're right the odds would say that if you don't get it time you'll get it the next time and now guess what you still got a tie yeah you know Mm -hmm. yes i get it that's it dan you you just did it you just got it i just you know there again here's i I just you know okay i'm not i'm not gonna continue torturing you guys we're going on for the whole entire thing but i just thought that i that i had to share campbell there there and i mean you know, I don't want to be too hard on these guys, but they say they know it, they show some knowledge of it, and then they just go against what is right there, ripe for the picking. So then then you start to say, these are things that actually can be explained, right? Then we start to get into areas with analytics moving forward where it's going to be a little bit more difficult to explain it. And there's got to be a little bit more faith to some of these more opaque solutions that we're talking about that that don't have an easily definable way of going about things. I mean, we have like no no ch- no chance of getting there with coaches like like Dan Campbell based upon what we're hearing here. But again, Campbell, I'm sorry. You know, you're probably a good guy. We'll see how long you last in Detroit. But uh, for this purpose, you are canceled.
for this purpose, you, my friend, are canceled. Sorry, you're canceled. Okay, moving on. Uh, before we get into the last segment here, let me hit you with uh, a little ad one more time, and that is we're going to talk about DraftKings. And it's appropriate because I'm about to talk about some betting stuff. I talked about the Offensive Rookie of the Year analysis that I did last week. I'm going to talk about Defensive Rookie of the Year, a little more complicated, honestly. Uh, here, I'm going to talk about some rookie player props, which are out there, yardage props uh, specifically that are out there for a lot of different rookie players. Uh, but before I get into that, I just want to mention that DraftKings is a sponsor here. DraftKings is giving you the chance to lower the over and under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on a featured basketball game, we're talking about the NBA here, will have a hand in lowering the over under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over under will drop by one point. That is a, that's interesting. I mean, that, that sounds like a valuable uh, proposition there from DraftKings. So it's safe, it's secure, it's reliable. Deposit at your convenience and download the top rated DraftKings sports app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over, that line will go up, I mean, sorry, will decrease by one point. That's promo code PFF for a limited time only DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Max $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends May 23rd, 2021. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now to our gambling stuff. I mean, it's tough here in the offseason when it comes to, to gambling, but we do have some seasonal props. So first, I want to go to an article I wrote last week, and this is going to be going over for the rookies generally looking at yardage seasonal props. So what, what, what I did was I looked at the projections that we're putting out, our fantasy projections. So our fantasy projections, uh, I want to just put it in two different buckets. The first bucket is usage, and this is a shares projection. So for... Every player, and this is mostly on a manual basis. Now, I have guidelines that I've used based upon modeling in previous seasons. Like, I'll model rookie wide receivers by draft position so you get an idea of what sort of target share they normally have. And I'm going to use that as a guide. I'm going to look at players' former uh, historical numbers for shares. I'm going to use those as guides. Uh, I'm going to use baseline numbers for the coaches, for the coordinators, and use those as guides. But basically, that's the stuff that goes into it. So we're going to you're going to say, what sort of share do you expect for the season for a particular quarterback to get of passing? Uh, what sort of share of the rushing attempts will he have for the running backs, rushing attempts and targets? Same for the wide receivers and the and the tight ends. So that's one component. Now, those numbers then feed into all the different modeling we've done on a position by position basis, looking at the pace of the game, looking at who the coordinators are there, looking at the personnel, looking at the over-unders that we can get, the information we can get on Super Bowl odds and other things for team strength. And we also have power rankings out now on all the different teams. And those power rankings uh, give you an idea of the team strength based upon our grades and our war numbers. So all of that's going in to spit out what eventually are the team projections, which of course are going to add up to the total team numbers that we're, we're projecting here. So that, that's the overview for, for how it works. But I also want to know, like, what are the distribution of outcomes? Because when we look at this, these team projections, 
mostly we're looking at like a mean projection, right? That's what you're, you're, you're modeling for most of the time. And what we're interested in when we're looking at over-unders, um, we're looking at more like what the median is. What is the, the middle outcome as opposed to the mean outcome? Because you're, you're deciding whether you're going to get over or under a particular number. You don't care how far over you are or how far under you are. You just care about being over or under. So you have to look at the distributions because sometimes if there are tails to the distribution, I mean, a, an obvious example is, let's say, touchdowns. How many touchdowns someone's going to get in a game? Well, if you project someone's mean touchdowns, that number is going to be higher than their median touchdowns. And why is that? Well, that's because if you look at the tail of something like that, you're going to have a very high number at zero. And then you're going to have a very, very low number, but way out at, I don't know, three or four, you can even have touchdowns. So that three and four is going to drag that mean of the distribution way up. Uh, further towards the three and four, further towards the higher number because of how it's going out there, despite the fact that if you're just going to look one by one at all those different ones and pick out the median outcome, the middle outcome, it's going to be closer to the zero than what the mean outcome is. So when you're looking at mean, sometimes you could say, oh, the mean outcome for the number of touchdowns this player will score in the game is 1.2. So therefore I'm going to bet over one. Well, the reality is the median outcome might be more like 0.8. So you should bet under. So that, that's something to keep in mind. So, but also I wanted to first look at the distributions for these players for on a seasonal basis, what rookies do. So for, for all the different positions, and I'll start with quarterback, I said, okay, let's first build in some parameters about the fact of whether or not these guys are going to be starting or not. That's really important, right? I think Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, we can project fairly confidently that they are going to be a week one starter. Lawrence, because he's the number one pick, he's a generational prospect, all that stuff. And Wilson, because there's just nobody else there. James Morgan and Mike White are the only two quarterbacks on the Jets roster. They have a combined zero career pass attempts between them, those two guys. So they have as much NFL experience as uh, as far as actual game experience as Zach Wilson does. So I think those guys are going to get in from day one. So that's going to boost my projection for you know their share of the of the season, knowing that there's not going to be any problems. Whereas the other guys, Trey Lance is behind Jimmy Garoppolo potentially. You have um, Justin Fields behind Andy Dalton, hopefully not, but potentially. And then you're going to have Mac Jones, of course, potentially behind Cam Newton. There. I mean, those are some good quarterback competition names those are not you know Mike Lennon or Nick Foles although Nick Foles has kind of been elevated since then who were who could keep other guys on the bench in the past these are guys who are you know legitimate solid starting quarterbacks in their in their primes so anyway so 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 once you know that I looked and I said okay quarterbacks who have started at least 14 games is what I put in there. So it's almost an entire season, but you never, I didn't want to go all the way to 16 because then you're going to whittle it down too much. So for rookie quarterbacks who started at least 14 games and were drafted in the top 10, so they'll be similar to um, Lawrence and to Wilson, what does their distribution look like? And if you look at it, there it, it tails off to the low side as opposed to like touchdowns tailing off to the high side on a single game. This is tailing off to the low side for guys who, you know, just don't play a lot, have really, really poor outcomes. Um, 
even get injured and miss some games. So in this circumstance, the median is actually a little bit higher than the mean. And that's something to keep in mind for most of the other guys. When I looked at rushing yards for running backs, I looked at receiving yards for uh, the wide receivers. It was pretty close to being normal. So when you pull up the different uh, over-unders here, the first one uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Lawrence is at 4,150 yards at DraftKings. And that one did not really look like a good play or anything to do. ETN though, Travis ETN, when we're looking at the Jaguars, he's at 600 rushing yards at points bet. He's a little bit higher at some others. Now, despite all the Urban Meyer donkey talk, despite the worries that he's going to try to you know, put this square peg into a round hole and try to force ETN out as being a wide receiver, 600 yards is really low. Uh, for a running back who's drafted in the first round. I looked at all the different running backs who were drafted between 10 and 40. Now remember, ETN went 24. And two-thirds of them got more than 600 yards. And that includes, you know, injuries and other things in there where guys weren't even weren't even able to, to finish the, the, the season. This is only including guys who were able to play half, basically half the season. So that looks pretty good. And... The competition is not great there. So what I'm hoping is either maybe not initially on day one, but eventually they'll figure out we should be giving the ball to the most explosive running back here and allowing him to run that ball. And I didn't give him an outsized share number when we were projecting share. Uh, I basically said that he's going to be somewhere around 42%, 41% of the rushing share. And then combined, Robinson and Hyde were going to have around 45%. So they were going to have more combined rushing share than ETN does. And even with that, we get ETN almost up to 700 yards rushing. So that is going to give you a cushion of at least 10% over what the over-under is at points bet, which I mentioned, which has a lower one there. So I think he was good for the over. Uh, We move down to other guys, Zach Wilson. What's interesting about Wilson is his passing over under is lower at 3,800. But again, like he's going to, he's just as likely in my opinion to start week one as Lawrence. Uh, my, our projection for him is for passing yards is over 4,000. So it's, there's a little bit of a bump there, but it's not quite enough. I don't think to really say that this is a play that you want to make. Again, we don't have like that 10% type of cushion, but it's very close to Lawrence. And I think maybe that's something that's off, at least in common perception, is where Wilson's going to be versus Lawrence. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. For some reason, Wilson is really, people are really just down on him in fantasy. Whereas the projection that I have for him, because I think he's going to get some, some rushing yards too there, is more like a quarterback 20 sort of outcome. And then Lawrence more in that quarterback 16, 17. So there's a gap, but it's a lot closer than what you're going to see ADP on these uh, on different sites. Uh, the next one I looked at the fourth overall pick Kyle Pitts, his over under, and I'm going to take the highest one here because I like the under, and that is at bet MGM 874.5 receiving yards. Um, if you look at all tight ends ever drafted in the NFL draft, um, there have only been two rookies who have gone over that, that number. I think it was Mike Ditka and, um, Jeremy Shockey. So not, not great, Bob. I know that Kyle Pitts is a generational prospect, all that stuff, but again, it's hard to do. And the other thing that's hard to do with Pitts on this team is 
you know, we're, we're projecting almost 5,000 passing yards for Matt Ryan in the 17-game season. So that's a lot. But Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones are dominant share gatherers. You know, Ridley we have as the wide receiver five. If you take fantasy points, adding up all of his different production, you know, 90 catches, 1,400 yards sort of range. Julio Jones, wide receiver 13 with, you know, 85 catches and 1,200 yards. Julio was good when he played last year. He was efficient when he played last year. So we're giving Pitts big numbers, uh, 60-something catches and 700 yards, but it's just not going to be close to the 874 yards. Now, he could go over um, as a contingent sort of play. Like if Jones or Ridley goes down, it frees up market share. They can can give him the ball more often. But, you know, guys like Mike Davis, he's going to catch passes. Um, Corderell Patterson, he's going to be involved in some way in what's going on there. Hayden Hurst, who they traded a second-round pick for. I know it's not this coaching staff, but traded a second-round pick for him last year. He's going to be involved a bit. I think Pitts is going to add a lot to the offense, but getting over that elite, elite, elite uh, receiving number is going to be tough. And I'm just not sure that's something that you would necessarily want to, to bet on. Uh, next is Jamar Chase, the fifth overall pick. His over-under at... Bet MGM is 1099.5, so almost 1100. He has to get to 1100 yards. We have it a little bit over a thousand yards. So you could look to go under on this, but I'm it's still not within that 10% threshold that I'm going to use there for, for cushion. And but I said, like I said, you could go under because. The projections, if anything, are probably underestimating the risk that there's an injury or that players don't play as much in this extended season or in this new 17-game season. It'll just be interesting to see how many teams may be resting guys in the final weeks, or the final week, I should say, where that week just did not exist in the past. Um, but we still have a strong season for him. Again, a little bit more target share competition, I think, that people want to, to mention there because T. Higgins played really well last year. Tyler Boyd is a guy who's just going to get his. Uh, They don't really have a tight end to speak of. So I think that helps a lot when it comes to Jamar Chase. But, you know, we haven't given a thousand yards. It's just not going to be above that that receiving number. Now, Jalen Waddell, again, no play there, although it's it's still only 724 yards. 725 yards is really the, the threshold there. So if you get over, if you get 725 or higher, you're good. That's a low number for a wide receiver. You know, we're talking about a number that is, 375 less than Jamar Chase's uh, number. That's big. Now we have Waddle at a little bit over 800 yards. So not quite enough of a cushion, but very, very close. Again, if you wanted to go over on here, I'm not against that. Uh, I think people think Will Fuller and Devontae Parker, maybe a little bit more and Mike Gusecki or Gusecki are a little bit more of target competition than they really are. But, you know, Fuller gets injured a lot. Parker is not really a great fit with um, with Tua, in my opinion. And Waddle's a better fit as a run-after-catch guy. But, you know, we have Fuller and Parker outproducing Waddle, and Waddle's still getting enough to come there. So I think that's another thing is maybe we're a little bit higher on Tua this, this year and what he can do versus what some other people think that he can do. Um, but, you know, Miles Gaskin and, like I said, uh, Kasiki will be involved. Uh, Devonte Smith, his over under is 400. I'm sorry, 749 and a half receiving yards. We do not have a play on that. And 
I think there's a temptation to say that Smith is going to outproduce guys like Waddle, but the problem is we just don't have the passing game having enough volume there for, we only have Jalen Hurts and Flacco combined getting, you know, around that 3,600 passing yards, just not, not that much at all. Um, it's going to be really a rushing based offense. And because of that, even though we have Devonte Smith leading the team in receptions, leading the team in yards, leading the team in touchdowns for receivers. Actually, anyway, Dallas Goddard leading the team in touchdowns, but close. Um, we, we have we have him up there in all those different categories. He still isn't enough to get up to, to the 750. And the last thing we want to talk about, and I'm also going to have a no play here, but just to Najee Harris, we talked about him for rookie of the, the year, and I still like that. He's at about 950 rushing yards for his over-under. We, ha- we project him a little bit over 1,000, but again, it's just not quite enough there. Uh, it's really Kyle Pitts under and ETN over where you're going to get the most juice there. But again, ETN, it's important. That 600 number is really important versus some sites where you're going to see 625, 645, maybe even a little bit, a little bit higher than that. Uh, now I want to go over to the last thing I want to discuss today is defensive rookie of the year. Now I talked about my offensive rookie of the year, how I do that on a step-by-step basis uh, for the look at it. The defensive rookie of the year is a really interesting market because if you look historically at how this has worked, there's it's somewhat analogous to offensive rookie of the year when the linebacker is similar to the running back. So in other words, when I looked at the offensive rookie of the year for the MVP market, it's totally shifted to quarterbacks. And there's only been one running back in the last decade, Adrian Peterson, who won the award. Whereas it used to be many more running backs. And for the, Offensive rookie of the year used to be basically no quarterbacks winning this a few decades ago. And now it's come where it's about, you know, 50% quarterbacks over the last decade, 40% running backs, and then uh, a a wide receiver, 10%. So it's somewhat similar to that because the linebacker position if you look over the last three decades, it's, it's kind of bounced around and it hasn't changed. So there hasn't been a fully overall shift, but Defensive player of the year is much more concentrated on the defensive line, Um, mostly edge players, but Aaron Donald coming in there as an interior defender has, um, you know, has obviously gotten that, that award a few times. So he's going to have, he, he, he is, he is skewed that towards those types of players. So when when I broke up by, by decade um, by player edge, interior defender, off-ball linebacker and defensive back. I grouped together safeties and cornerbacks. When I look at how they've, how they've done in the Defensive Rookie of the Year award, edge defenders have won it four times over the last decade. Uh, d- interior defenders on the line twice, linebackers twice, defensive backs twice. Now, the previous decade, and this is when we started to see the linebackers pop up here, edge three times, interior defender once, linebackers off ball linebackers six times and then zero defensive backs and then we go 91 to 2000 so this is three decades uh, ago four edge defenders two interior two linebackers and two defensive backs so in total more edge defenders most edge defenders 11 over the last three decades linebackers 10 over the last three decades uh, defensive interior players five and then defensive backs four okay so that that's a good layout and when we're looking, I think it's important to know because when we're looking at the odds this year for, for defensive rookie of the year, and I'm going to look at FanDuel here. I mentioned this last week. FanDuel has some, some favorable odds, I think, across the board, but in particular on the players that I'm looking at here. Um, you know, Micah Parsons, linebacker, is at the top 
where he's plus 550. So that's a um, that's an implied win probability of about 15%. But then you have Kitty Payne is second, who uh, Kitty Payne is second, and he is you know an edge defender. Then Jalen Phillips, edge defender. Then you have Jamin uh, Davis, who is a linebacker. And then you have Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, who is next, who is a who is a linebacker. So that's that's kind of an interesting way. Whereas linebackers and edge defenders at the top, despite the fact the first two picks in the draft, if you remember, we didn't have any defenders drafted until uh, J.C. Horn at eight, and then uh, Patrick Sertan at nine. So those guys come in here, but they are let's say sixth and eighth in in the odds there. And there are a bunch of others there, and I'll discuss this a, l- a little bit later. But it, when trying to figure out, you know, you, you could say here, oh, well, the edge defenders are the most common thing. So maybe there'll be end of edge defender value here. Uh, but when I dug in a bit further into the draft position of these players, I was shocked um, historically for defensive rookie of the year by a couple of different things. Number one, like it's a very top heavy award. There have only been three out of the last 30 awards that have gone to players who were not drafted in the first round. All three of those off-ball linebackers. So zero defensive backs, zero edge defenders, zero uh, interior defenders who have not been first-round picks. So you're really like don't want to really look in the second round at all unless you're looking at some linebackers as a potential. Uh, you're just lighting your money on fire if you're going for guys who are, let's say, an edge defender in the in the second round uh, at a higher odds. It just just doesn't make that much sense. And if you break it down a little bit further into someone who's a top five pick, someone who's picked and still in the first half of the first round, so let's say pick six through sixteen, then in the second half of the first round, and then the and then I mentioned before in the second round, it's only been it's only been linebackers. But of the edge defenders, of the, the, the times that they've won, and I mentioned earlier that they've won this, this award 11 different times, of the 11 times that they've won, eight of those times have been top five picks. So that's a lot. Three times in the first half of the first round. So in the top, in the, in between six and 16. So this is very, very heavily skewed towards the top of the draft. Now, again, in this draft, uh, in, the, in the 2021 draft, right? You didn't have any edge defenders going early at all. Um, the first edge defender who came off, of, came off of the board in this draft was, let me see, I guess it was Jalen Phillips. And that wasn't until pick 18. And then after that, Quiddy Pay wasn't until pick 21. And then after that, Peyton Turner, 28. Gregory Rousseau at 30. Um, Jason, Jason Owe was all the way down at, let me see, 31 and so on. But again, none of those guys at where they were drafted, at least historically, now small sample alert that all plays into, none of those guys have won. None of them made it into the top 16 picks where they actually had a chance, at least historically, of winning. Now, for the defensive interior defenders, there were a couple. There were two in the second half of the first round. There were two between picks 6 and 16, and there was one in the top five. Um, and again, if you look at recent guys who have won, just to go back to edge defenders for a second, you could say, oh, four edge defenders have won in the last decade. So it's a good 
it's potentially a good pick. Well, who are those edge defenders? Chase Young, second pick overall. Nick Bosa, the second pick overall. Joey Bosa, the third pick overall. Uh, Vaughn Miller, what was he, the fifth pick overall? Um, so those all very, very, very early picks. And Timo Riske has done some research on the, I forget what he called it, a growth curve or development curve for players as they come into the league. Edge defenders were the slowest developing. So you have to be an uber, uber, uber talent and to, to be a player where you're not even close to hitting that ceiling because these edge defenders don't really hit their ceiling until we get into years three and four in the league. Um, a huge jump in year two also. And we think about like someone like Miles Garrett, how, how, he's, how he's jumped forward now from his, from his rookie season. So you have to be really, really a stud player in order to have that, that, that type of jump going, going forward. And I just don't see anyone in this class that, that really has that. So they're probably the edge defenders are some guys, some guys to fade. Uh, now, if you look at linebackers and I think, again, this is the position I think we're going to want to focus on. So zero top five players. Now a lot, not many guys were drafted in the top five, but there have been two top five picks since the year 2000. And, you know, they didn't win the award. Now, there have been 19 guys who were drafted between 6 and 16, and there have been six who have won. So that is a pretty good percentage. About 20% of the guys who were drafted between 6 and 16. If we look at who, who fits that mold this year, right? Well, of course, we have uh, Micah Parsons, right? The number 12 pick and the guy with, with, with the biggest odds. We have Xavier uh, Collins, who was drafted at 16. So they barely, so they fit in. Jamin Davis is a little bit outside of that at 19, but he's close. And as I mentioned earlier, there have been some guys who have won, who have even been second round picks, three second round picks who have, who have won the award there. Defensive back, uh, one of the four winners was a top five pick. Two of them were between six and 16. And one of them was a pick after in the first round, but between seven after seven, 17 or later. So again, who are we looking at in this draft when we're talking about that, that sort of stuff, who's in that, obviously no one in the top five and the six to 16 range, we have horn and certain, but that's it. And then we're going all the way down to Caleb Farley at pick 22. So I, I think there's just a tendency here, maybe to overvalue some longer shot types of players, especially when you look at someone um, some of these edge defenders where they probably don't have much of a chance because they're just going to take them a long, a long time to develop. So I think here the strategy, and this is what I'm going to recommend in an article that I'm going to publish later this week. I think the strategy here is maybe a little bit of a barbell with linebackers where Parsons, who someone who fell a little bit in the draft prospect didn't end up going to the 12th overall pick, but in a draft where you didn't have all these quarterbacks going early, you didn't have someone like Kyle Pitts, who's a kind of a weird guy that to, to be that early. Um, you didn't have like the, the decline of linebacker off ball linebacker value. Generally, uh, you know, Parsons maybe would have been a bit higher and he, he, you know, his, his question mark is coverage, which I think is more important in today's game. And I could see why people would be worried about that, but it's not really necessarily something that's going to drive this award. Uh, you know, tackles, sacks, disruption, how you're seen on that side of the ball is really what's going to drive the award. And that's what Parsons is the best at really is, is, is his run defense, making solid tackles and making explosive plays and being able to rush the passer. So even at 15% implied probability, I think there's probably some, some value there. And then the other guy I'm going to, I'm going to go with here is if you're going to dig down a bit deeper and that's, if you're going to go down into the second round, because like I mentioned, it is possible to get someone, if you have enough reps in the second round that can, that can make a difference. And uh, the guy here, and this is someone informed by 
Mike Renner, uh, and Austin Gale. Like I said, uh, two for one drafts podcast. You guys should listen to that. They were talking about this guy, Nick Bolton for the Kansas city chiefs, the 58th overall pick. He's going to have a chance to come in and produce immediately. Now I'm a, I'd be more comfortable if he was at the, in the thirties, you know, of the, of the second round that he wasn't all the way back being drafted at 58, but still he's going to step into a high profile team. He's going to get reps, have a chance to get tackles. And if that defense continues to step forward, he could get a lot of credit there. So I think he is a good pick at a very, very, you know, low odds uh, right now. Bolton's at plus 3,300, which means about 3% implied probability. So if you can beat that, then you're okay. And maybe sprinkle some other ones on some of these linebackers. Cause I just think things are really opened up for linebackers in this one um, because you don't have the dominant, dominant cornerback like a Deion Sanders or Charles Woodson or guys like that who, who could, who could potentially win this award. You don't have the dominant edge defenders who normally win this award. So you're just going to spill over to linebackers who have a much better chance of winning this than they do of winning uh, defensive player of the year anymore. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for today. I appreciate everyone for listening. We're continue to go through the summer here, rate review, the pod, unexpected points, go into, go into iTunes and leave a review there, leave a question. I'll try to get to it if we can here, but I appreciate everyone uh, tuning in and more analytical goodness coming at you next week. Thanks.